<laughs> Welcome everybody to Sharpen That Act, a podcast dedicated to strengthening your guitar skills. Your skills as a guitar player. I've had too much coffee. Your Aaron Gill, how the hell are you? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for all of our new listeners out there. Yes. Yes. Straight away, uh, shout out to the new listeners. Yeah, and just so you know, quick overview of what we do. We talk about guitar because that's a thing, and we Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. So, and Dylan Murphy, would you give us a quick rundown on what exactly you do and what we do here? Who I am, what I do, what I don't do. I don't do a lot. I'm a singer-songwriter and guitar player based in Galway, Ireland, shortly departing soon for the sandy beaches of Vietnam to escape the Irish winter. But uh, I write, I record, I play in cover bands, I teach, I do a lot. Uh, John, what do you do? I nerd out on guitar things, but when I'm not nerding out on guitar things, I'm writing about guitar, I'm teaching guitar, I'm playing guitar. It's, just, it's a lot of guitar. So I run a company called Silver Sound Guitar. You can find us on Speaking of everything. So Unreal. John, you, uh, you wrote an article recently. Yes, yes. What, actually, a couple recently. One of them is going to be relevant to our guest today on using a metronome and how bad all of our timing really is and how to fix it. And the most recent one was kind of in response to a few months ago, Washington Post wrote an article about, or published an article about how the electric guitar is dying. And I am More like stink piece, am I right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. A, A relatively poorly researched piece that sort of Googled what Guitar Center and Fender are doing in sales and determined from a human interest story that it's dead, and nobody likes it, nobody plays it anymore, and no one cares, and kids these days, you don't understand. Yes. So we'll get into that a little bit further. So, As Skid Row would say, the youth gone wild. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. So we've got a very, as you can probably tell from the, the podcast's title today, we have a fantastic guest on the podcast today. We recorded him while Storm Ophelia raged outside my window. Uh, Rob Ronthal, sorry, excuse me, (laughs) Ronthal, aka uh, Bumblefoot. Exactly. Not not the warty chicken feet, actually. We have the the human being who goes by the name Bumblefoot. Yeah, a a really great guy to get on the podcast. Uh, Super friendly, a little bit eccentric, how I like my guests, and super knowledgeable as well super knowledgeable guy he actually part of the inspiration for our talk on timing and metronomes go back and have a listen to that episode as well if you need a refresher course very much it's it's kind of surreal how we mentioned a video by bumblefoot on the podcast and then two weeks later had him as a guest <laughs> it was given given our humble origins and all how many how many episodes is this now 27 27 sweet fancy moses it's uh yeah yeah, it's gonna be 30 before long and all grown up and soon it'll have children podcasts of its own and we'll be asking why doesn't it have a real job and why doesn't it call me anymore yeah god (laughs) so uh john have you got my lick of the week open i have i have i I feel like that was a dr seuss style response Uh, yes, uh, hit it when you're ready, Bobetti. I don't know. I don't. I haven't read this in a while. Go, go for it. Nothing. Here, here it goes. 
<laughs> yes! Here comes me. Tapping part, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, so you know what this is. <laughs> How can you not when you have Vince Neil screaming about guitars in your... Guitar! <laughs> Dr. Feelgood! Yeah, awesome. I love this solo. I love this riff. It's just, it's so huge. So huge. And... Mick Mars, actually, yeah. a, a really good guitar player. Kind of, kind, yeah. of, kind of one of those overlooked guitar players, I think, to be honest. Just because I think he's a very good guitar player, and I think he serves Motley Crue very well and is just a fantastic guy to listen to. Is he the most technical guitar player? No, but he does his job very, very well. Yeah, I remember I I, I, I first heard that's see I, I know it's supposed to be a lick, but that solo is just a combination of beautiful licks that work really well together. And it's got everything in there. You've got the, the really fast alternate picking runs, you've got the tapping, you've got the squeals, it's just quintessential eighties glam. There's great legato in there right at the end, just before it goes into the tapping bit. So it's yeah, it's fantastic little Little right, absolutely, totally agree with it. Great solo, great tune. The whole thing just most of that album is just a great album. See, uh, do you know that like for the black album, uh, Metallica heard the yeah, Dr. Feelgood album and be like, We want that producer, that's how they got Bob Rock. Really, I didn't know yeah. that. That's amazing, that's a great. Yeah, movie. they're like, We don't like Motley Crue, and John, perfectly honest, I don't like Motley Crue either. Maybe three songs, but I love that song from start to finish, especially that solo. It, it'll make me air guitar like few other solos. <laughs> uh, big, stupid smile on my face. So, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, mostly gentlemen, it's time for pedal talk as it is every week. So this week we are talking about a pedal that has long confounded both myself and zillions of other guitar players. It is compression, compression effect. Uh, I am a bit flabbergasted by w what it is, what it does. I don't really know. Uh, so I will be playing the role of the dum-dum. And John, you will be the non-dum-dum who knows about compression. And I'll be the one asking stupid questions. Yeah, so, this, is, this, is, this is a touchy subject, I think, because it's so important for audio stuff yeah. as well. And then if you're... I, everyone knows it when they hear it but I think very few of us have an understanding of actually what it does and how it comes together. So that's kind of the big, the big thing. Now the so, general, uh, yeah. Go no, ahead. no, no, I was just going to go last. So t tell me about the, the basics. Break it down for me. The simplest idea of what a com compressor does is it takes the, when you look at a waveform, right, you've got all these tiny things and these high things and, and essentially what it does is just kind of flattens everything out. It brings the lower noises up, it brings the higher noises down, and it just kind of squishes everything. And that's, that's the very basic idea of how that works. Okay, so what does that do to the sound? It evens it out, but it, you can, depending upon your, so that you don't have all those peaks and valleys. You know, sometimes when you're playing something, particularly maybe doing some finger style stuff, on your electric or some chicken picking, something like that. 
what happens is you, you're maybe, let's say your ring finger is just a little bit quieter than your thumb. Well, it's going to kind of even those levels out just a little bit for you. Cool. So it provides balance essentially. Yeah, it, essentially. But there's, it does, it kind of rounds out your tone a little bit as well. Now there's a lot of other things that you can use it for. Keely, for example, recommends trying it out as a clean boost, depending upon how you have your settings on it. And I've had to do that a couple of times. In fact, I did it this weekend. I was playing a gig and my main overdrive is out. So I had to use my RC booster as my main drive and then okay. using my compressor as my clean boost. And then, so, okay, that's, that's, that's interesting. So can you, can you tell me a little bit like, what, what, what compressor do you use? I've got a Keeley four knob compressor and to kind of break down a little bit of what it does. I think it's a good, uh, it's a good way to sort of talk about the elements of a compressor and how each little thing works. And okay. it's, it's going to be different depending upon which one you have. Obviously some other big ones are things like the JHS pulp and peel. I've got a friend who's got one of those and it just sounds absolutely fantastic. They designed it as something that's going to be always on. And to be honest, I don't like having my Keely on while I'm running an overdrive, but it's pretty common. Most of the people I know will keep their pulp and peel dialed in and then they're either hitting something sort of like a dialed back tube screamer or okay. or even like an RC booster that's got the gain cranked on it. So it functions a little bit more like an overdrive pedal than necessarily just a clean boost. So there's there's a couple of different ways you can do that. The Exotic SP is a good one. The oh, yeah. Comp is a pretty well-known one as well. Yeah, I was about to say that's the one I know. Uh, Boss have the, is it the CS? Yeah, the CS3, which is, a, again, a fantastic, fantastic pedal. Thanks, Boss. Um, so always, always putting something out there that's super usable. The controls though on the Keeley, I think serve as a good example of how everything works. Okay. So, so talk me through. Yeah. The first thing, the first thing to understand in general with a compressor is that, that it does more than anything else is limits the input signal. So you have the ability to dial in a particular high or a particular level of input signal. And okay. then when that signal reaches the threshold, that's when your compressor essentially puts a clamp on it. And there's a couple of different things that people talk about, like the knee or the slope of the compression, compression which if you're in some sort of digital audio workstation, usually you can see what that looks like. And a hard knee means it, it not only it, it clamps down fast and that's we'll, we'll talk about exactly what that's called, but it also means that instead of a gradual rounded slope, it's very, you know, it's like a, not a right angle necessarily, but a sharp angle, like a 45 or something like that, as opposed to an arc. Go ahead. Can I, can I ask a question about, so can you, can you tell me like maybe a, a famous song or a, a player that would use compression heavily. I know it's big in country. It's it's a big thing. Yeah, anything. A lot of times, anything that you're hearing with a solid clean tone, um, you're gonna really? hear. Yeah, yeah, and particularly with strats. So it's a really common setup in most strat 
style things because it just kind of squashes everything together, gives it a little oomph. That said, you will see you'll see it a little bit in even even typical humbucker players, just because it, it levels out that clean sound a little bit and gives you a little more oomph in it instead of kind of piercing highs or when you're, you're you dig in a little bit sometimes you'll you'll end up with a little bit of that distortion and it can kind of clamp down on that signal instead of instead of having it peak on you essentially okay yeah so John, i use a strash i play clean tone all the time it sounds like i really should have one of these i think maybe you should okay i'm, I'm very very intrigued um, so I've learned a lot. I, I'm trying to think. I know that um, Frusciante was a big user of compression in his stuff. Yeah, an uh, excellent for, example. And played a lot of single coil stuff too, am I right? Yeah, hugely. Um, yeah, he... Uh, yeah, okay, I'm very intrigued. Okay, I'm going to have to... If you could pick one, would you recommend your Keeley? I, I do like it. If you're really into more of like that Stevie Ray Vaughan sort of tone, check out the Maxon compressors. Because that's... Yeah, exactly, which he used. And that's part of what gives his clean tone a little bit of that pop. Um, I really, I, I, love, I love the sound of it. The thing I like about my Keeley 4-knob is it does allow you to adjust the attack, which the attack is how quickly or slowly the compression clamps down on everything. So okay. I prefer a little bit faster attack and a longer release. That's just kind of my, my personal preference because I feel like it gives it kind of that, that warmer tone to it. Warm, warmth, whatever that means, right? Whatever that means. Okay, yeah. cool. I'm intrigued. Good, good, good report, John. Hooray! Oh, all right. I passed my book reports. That's good. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you, you, you really, really did. Okay, so I suppose we should move on to our, our, you know, our big guest of the week. Yeah, exactly. We gave you an introduction already. And beyond that, I don't think he needs too much more of an introduction. So without further delay, here's Bumblefoot and bad puns. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here today. We've got a very special guest with us. It is None other than Bumblefoot himself. So, yeah. Mr. Bumblefoot, or shall we call you Ron, or what? What? What would be better? Oh, uh, you can call me anything you want, whatever, whatever you dig. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Thank Guitar you so much. Gods. We'll call you Guitar Zeus. How's that? <laughs> GZ for short. <laughs> um, so, Ron, we had a we we brought you up in an episode about two weeks back. Uh, I found your the most important guitar advice video. I think you did it for Guitar Jam or, or some Jam Play was it? Jam Play maybe. Jam Play maybe, yeah. Yeah, you did a video where you talked about uh, going in for a lesson and your uh, instructor basically cut you down to size by putting the metronome at like forty BPM, and uh, yes. you did. Yes. It was it was fascinating. I, I, I took a lot from it. And I, since watching the video, I've done a few recording sessions and lessons and live shows where I've noticed that I have a tendency of playing a little bit ahead of the beat. And it's really it's it really opened my eyes. And I, I thought I loved it. I showed, shared it with John and then we spoke about it on the show. And it's, it's so weird that you're here right now. 
So it's great. <laughs> well, no, I appreciate yeah, yeah, having me here. Thank goodness we live when we do with the technology we have so we can do this. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was a guy named Pete Prisco, a great, real, real deal jazz guy. Um, mm. And I walked in there all, you know, little snotty 14-year-old kid, you know, with all my Van Halen riffs that I memorized and this and that. And it's like, check me out. He's like, yeah. And just goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he sat in the other room for like 45 minutes making himself a sandwich, just listening to me. Oh, and, man. I had a and I had to play after every <laughs> beat. And I'm just oh, like, I God. hate this guy. Yet for some strange reason, I love him. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because I knew it was good for me, you know? And, and yeah. it was. And as guitar players, we don't realize. We, sometimes we don't pay enough attention to the pocket. And we're just not looking at it. It's like not looking at, at your speedometer. And you don't realize that you're going 90 uh, hmm. in a 25. So, yeah, it's that kind of thing where... It just has to be on your radar as a guitar player. You have to say, all right, let me make sure that, yeah, I'm playing all the right notes and yeah, I'm being all fancy schmancy and this and that, but is it sitting where it's supposed to? And mm. just pulling back and making sure, just feeling the groove, letting the groove happen. I always think of it like, like a surfer on a wave. You know, it's like the wave has to happen before you're on, like you have to be riding that wave. Yeah. Mm. Otherwise, if you're in front of it, it's going to crash right on you. It doesn't work. Right need to let it happen and just let it take you or follow it or just the drummer is the boss yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's <laughs> don't tell the drummer just don't never don't ever know so I'm they don't need to inflate it ego are, are there players that you look to still that you would say that guy is an excellent pocket player like who would be an example of that for you oh damn there's so many um Mostly you find us a lot of the, the classic blues guys or, or those kind of guys, not the shred guys, yeah. but the ones that just play with the rhythm, you know, whether it's, it's you know, Stevie Ray and just his, just the right amount of swing. Yeah. yeah. That kind of stuff. And yeah, I would say he's one that yeah, you listen to and it's like, man, the pocket on that guy. Yeah, yeah. he's got that. Absolutely. Um, because the drums aren't doing anything fancy. It's just it's just two and four. But yeah, and he just plays with that so well. Right. He's part of the rhythm. He's providing, you know, it's almost like when your groove acts as an additional percussion instrument, mm -hmm. where the things you're doing are just fitting in. Uh, who's another example? Joe Walsh. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's Classic. a good example. Yeah. Like, really, like, his right hand was just like the perfect set of of percussion stuff you listen to any of it just a yeah oh yeah right? yeah of course phone number 40 yeah, just all the little yeah i mean that's just you know the most obvious example of his stuff uh that kind of thing yeah beautiful and there's a so, ton more that i can think of i would have been able to think of them if you didn't ask me the question <laughs> so saying, like so who's a good example i'm gonna come up with 10 names for you as soon as we hang up that's yeah. it. No, you <laughs> put, put, post them, tweet at us, tweet at us, you can help. Yeah. Uh, so Ron, it's your, it's your day off. Uh, what is it your day off from? What are you up to these days? Oh, well, I just got back from, let's see. Well, well, here's, here's the big run. It was, 
Japan, Thailand, Malaysia, Bangladesh, Ireland, Romania, Moldova, Poland, Germany, France. And then I came home for a couple of days and I just went out to Michigan and played all around Michigan State. I went to Grand Rapids, did a TV thing there, then played a show in Battle Creek and then one in Detroit and just got home. Today was supposed to be a full day of press, uh, but it was too short notice to organize it. So we're pushing it a week. But fortunately, we get to do this now even better. Yay! And then yeah. days, uh, going off to Vegas and LA and San Diego, and I'm doing these one-man shows. It's this weird thing. It's it's like an acoustic show, as if it was like, you know, a guy sitting up there singing and playing, always with, you know, this crazy double-neck electric. Uh, it's like a clinic, you know, you can have backing tracks and be playing all this crazy shit, but, mm. but it's not being, you know, not taking a half hour to explain all the technical aspects. It's just sticking to the music. It's like a storyteller show. You know, one guy on stage just telling you all kinds of stuff, but I'm not quite talking so much. So it's it's some sort of mix of, I guess, the more uh, show aspects of a clinic and acoustic show and a storyteller show all in one. Uh, the best way to sum it up is I couldn't afford a band. So I went out there. <laughs> uh, that's actually the joke I was making at these shows. The first thing I said when I got on the stage for the very first one is like, I'm trying to think of a name for this tour. I don't know what to call it. And my first thought is, what the fuck am I doing up here, Tor? Um, <laughs> the other one is, uh, I couldn't afford a band, Tor. Um, yeah. Trying to think of a name. Like, what would you call this tour? Because uh, it's, it's storyteller-ish. That's what I call it. It's, it's a storyteller-ish bunch of concerts. Um, and how has it been received? Like, you've been in a lot of places. Oddly well, this is my second one. Like I've done clinics, those mm. are fine. I've done acoustic shows, those are fine. I've done full mm. band stuff, those are fine. Uh, but this is the first time where I'm sort of putting them together and going out and playing venues where I would normally play with a band, but just doing it myself up there. It, it kind of feels, the first show felt very vulnerable. It's like, where are my pants? I feel naked. You know, like just this weird feeling <laughs> dream. of just, yeah. But it, by the second show, it's like, all right, this has fallen into place. I could do this. Yeah. Unreal. Very cool. That sounds great. So, and you're, you've currently got something on Sons of Apollo um, as well. Yes. Your super group. How's that coming along? Yes. Sons of a Portnoy. Um, it's <laughs> 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 so, yeah, I've been coming up with all kinds of, you know, different names for it. You know, I, I tend to have a self-deprecating sense of humor. So I don't know if everybody would, you know, come up with, like, I don't think everyone appreciates my humor sometimes. Like, you know, this one, you know, I might call it like Sons of Appalling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they get all pissed off of me. Uh, when I was in You're Guns that guy in the band. Yeah. Oh, man. Like one that, that, like, really pissed some people off was a couple of times when I was in Guns N' Roses, and I called us instead of GNR, I said, yeah, yeah, we're GNR and, <laughs> and, and a few fans got mad at me. Uh, but, you know, I'm just... Being, that's just me I'm just a wise ass and I have this self-deprecating sense of humor and but I think some people could get offended by that uh, so I should probably use it sparingly it's uh, a very Irish sensibility yeah everything exactly. yeah everything is great with that uh, the album is coming out in a few days or if this is going to be airing in a week it came out a few days ago and <laughs> um, <laughs> so yes yes for those Listening, are they watching? Are they going to see this? No, uh, they're not going to no, see no. this. No, okay, uh, our so lovely I faces. My dick out. You <laughs> can't. I'm not wearing no. any pants. Cool. All right. Perfect. Um. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 
you know, it's funny how it came together. Uh, we have history together. Me, Billy, Derek, uh, Mike. Hmm. Uh, with Mike, we've jammed over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. Maybe not even. But we've jammed a whole bunch of times in different places, different uh What's the word? Conglomerates. That's not the word. Uh, configurations. Configurations. Configurations of jamming and, you know, with different people. And, um, you know, I recorded on on the Metal of Legion stuff at Later Guest Solo. And we've hit the road together for a week in a tour bus together doing Metal Allegiance around the U.S. Um, with Billy, also, we've jammed together a lot. Uh, in fact, I think it was uh, most of the time it was with... Mike on drums too. One time it was with Ray Luzio from Corn on drums. Oh, he's he's and, a monster. Uh, wonderful guy, yeah, and killer player. Um, yeah. And I laid, you know, a bunch of guitar solos when he produced Madam Mayhem. I laid solos for four songs. So like we're all we're not strangers to each other, whether recording or uh, playing live together uh, with Derek. Uh, we did Progressive Nation at Sea. We jammed together in that. Uh, when he was doing PSMS, and I joined them along with Tony Harnell, and we we did some songs together. So we we knew each other, and Mike hit me up and said, "Yeah, you know how we've always been talking about putting some kind of band together or something." Well, I got the situation. Uh, I want to see if you're into it. Um, well, this is like around January, February. He hit me up, and he said, "In first couple of days of March, like March first to March 11th." A uh, good ten days we're going to spend in the studio. And we want to write and record an album together. Wow, and that's that's real quick. Yeah, but you know what? That's how it's supposed to be. Yes, yeah. you know we've gotten so reliant and dependent and and just lazy with ourselves with technology. It's made mm. things so convenient that we stop digging in. Um, the last few albums I've done, a bunch of guys get together in a room, and it's such a huge reminder of how it's supposed to be and how much more you get out of it when you do that. Mm. When you piece stuff together over time and you just do it that easy way, you're missing some of the spirit. You're missing people feeding off each other and and Mm. pushing each other and connecting and you're not capturing that. Uh, No matter how much you quantize everybody and and get everything nailed right to the grid and all that bullshit, um, you're missing the spirit. And I always say the perfect example, there would be no John Bonham. No one, his name wouldn't mean shit if he was recording today and some producer was fucking up his soul by quantizing the lag of his snare and drum replacing with the same cardboardy shit sounds that everybody uses and taking away that human element and the identity and the personality and the whole, hi, sweetie, wife just got home. Uh, <laughs> you know, all of that stuff. and. We think that by perfecting things, we're making it better, but we're not. We're taking away the human part, and that's the part that we really need for this shit to be art. Otherwise, it's just AI robotic bullshit. And wow, yeah, and well we said. Really, that's that's the thing. So, it, you know, I I was in that rut a little bit. It's like, you know, you record and and you you tighten stuff up, and then you maybe even over tighten things. Um, and yeah, you're getting everything nailed because we have the technology to do that. Now we, uh, over edit, I guess you could say, because we can, and Mm -hmm. it's, and it's an easy kind of drain to, to spiral down into, uh, but 
Two years ago, I was on a guitar tour with Robin Ford, John Jorgensen, uh, Larry Carlton, uh, Paul Person, and Alex Bauer from France, and, and uh, No No, uh, you know, a great bunch of guitar players, all doing the six-week tour around France. We had some wow. days off, so Paul Person had this idea that we go in and we bust out an album, a blues album, just take a whole bunch of songs and just play them. Mm-hmm. So we had the drummer and bass player from the tour. We had uh, Paul was <clears throat> the main guy, and me and Robin and John Jorgensen. We uh, we were all in a room together, all of us, and just sectioned off. I had my amp and a little ISO thing cranked up. Um, mm-hmm. Robin had his, you know, his amp with something over it, mic'd up, and just everybody. And we would take about ten minutes and talk about the song that we're about to play. Now, these guys, they knew the songs. Me, I don't know a lot of the obscure blues stuff. You know, I can mm. tell you, I can name almost any Man of War song. But <laughs> that stuff, you know, there's always more to learn. And it's not, it's not the thing that I grew up with. I grew up with old school punk, old school metal, and mm. classic rock, and classic prog. Uh, I like the blues, but it wasn't the main thing that I was really digging deep into. Uh, so. These, these were songs I never heard before, a lot of them. Uh, so we just said, all right, this is the key. Uh, this is the groove. Uh, what's the chord changes? This, to this, to this, cool. Um, okay, I'll go, I'm gonna sing a verse. Uh, Robin, you take a solo. Ron, you take one. John, you take one, go and do another verse and I'll take a solo and then we'll finish out with this kind of thing. And we did the whole thing, solos and all, first take and that was the album. And then maybe uh-huh. sometimes we did a second take. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, the idea of this is scary because we don't do this anymore. We don't have to be on top of our game and, and do it like that anymore because we could just fix everything, you know, on the hundredth take and do whatever. And then you realize, oh, wait, this is how we're supposed to do it. Right. And it was great. In two or three days, the album was done. And wow. uh, after that, I did Art of Anarchy. And... We started writing that album with Scott Stapp, mm-hmm. all five of us in a room together, day and night. And I just had my laptop, same one I'm on right now with a little interface and a microphone going to it and just demoing what we were playing live in the room. And we, you know, by the end of the day, all the ideas and the jams would slowly uh, solidify and gain their structure and become songs. Uh, we wrote half the album in a week and a half, just jamming. And mm-hmm. another you know, 10 ideas that didn't make it to the album, but still, you know, that's how we did it. And you get something real that way. And it's funny because the very first thing we wrote together ended up being our single and it did well. Uh, with, then with, with uh, Sons of Apollo, uh, me and Derek would just send a couple of ideas back and forth. He would send me a video of him playing this crazy keyboard thing. I would mm-hmm. hop in the studio and I would just come up with some riff and say, oh, what do you think of this? And we would just sort of stockpile a few ideas so that when we do get into the room, we could at least have something that we can start with and say, hey, why don't we just take this one and start building off of that? And same thing. We were all mic'd up and good to go. Uh, and me, Derek, and Mike, we just built songs. You know, We started off with a riff and then just mm-hmm. you trust your gut. Where should it go next? And we by the end of the day a song was was done next morning going and double the rhythms uh figure out what the hell i did and 
double it up, hard left, hard right, or Derek would add 85,000 more keyboard parts. Um, yeah, that guy is like a runaway train. It's amazing. I've never seen someone with such uh, musical energy. He can just go and go and go. I mean, for the last month, he's been sending me ideas for the next album. He oh, is wow. a stop. And halfway through that, uh, Billy got off tour and he joined. And, and then it was the four of us writing and recording. And then the album was done. Like the, the cake was baked. It was, it was finished. I went home. I started just putting icing on it, uh, banged out my solos. Uh, Jeff got off tour and started doing his vocals. Uh, Derek added more keyboards and we mixed it and it was done. And that's how you do it. That's how you make a record. Wow. What, great. Uh, what, what a, a story. And what a, um, what a result too, just because I, I think it's interesting. Sometimes you get kind of a, a conglomeration of sounds, but I think with sounds of Apollo, what I hear is a little bit of everybody and then coming together to make yeah. really like you hear the individual ingredients as they go in, but it makes a unique final product at the same time. So yeah. it's an amazing project. Cool. Thank you. And yeah, it's true. You can hear everybody being who they are and doing mm -hmm. what they do. And you can also hear our influences in there. There's like hailing moments. There's, you know, proggy moments. There's moments where it's like, oh, that's a total, you know, UK, you know, Bruford moment. Uh, all of that's in there. Like I could point things out and be like, all right, I know what inspired that. I know what brick in the structure uh, that was. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking that I'm sure there'll be a second album that will bust out in, you know, uh, an afternoon, uh, yeah. <laughs> an hour. And, you know, I would love to just push the limits even more. Like this one was definitely a great way to start things off. Uh, but now I want to up our own game and I want to like take the prog stuff and, and go proggier and just really start, start just get some, some challenging math going in there and just music and more vocal harmonies and, and just upping the musicality because as much as we did on there, mm -hmm. we are capable of so much more. Uh, like I see just what's not in the songs when we're all just dicking around and just jamming and bullshitting and everything. And that's when you really see what, what people are made of, you know, when, when yeah. the red button isn't on and you're just hanging out and, and, I think with almost every musician, they're, they are twice as much as what you hear, mm. for sure. I like that. Yeah. That's yeah. great. That's a good quote. Um, can, can I ask just about, because um, you're, you're clearly into Prague, and a lot of the things you teach on your YouTube videos um, are quite, I don't know, complex, or they have a real sense of... Um, I suppose, for lack of a better word, progressiveness about them. Can I just ask about how did it feel to do something completely different? I could ask you about the, the Guns N' Roses phase. I mean, you're essentially learning hockey blues rock or bluesy cock rock, whatever you want to go with. Um, <laughs> and you're kind of, you're, you're playing these parts that are kind of so ingrained into the popular music you know, compendium. How did it feel to kind of step back and do, take a complete left turn and to do that? Well, yeah, I mean, my own music was you know my own music and then to go and play stuff that i grew up with and already knew and you know i know it in my sleep that stuff yeah. uh you know any rock guitar player that doesn't know the appetite album front to back uh needs to go do his homework and yeah. it's <laughs> just like that like you know if you don't know highway to hell then you should have your guitar license revoked <laughs> so certain things like that 
uh, you know, any guitar player that doesn't know Stairway to Heaven, every little thing uh, of it, that kind of stuff. So, hmm. so it was easy playing wise to just go in and be like, all right, just play songs I know that that <laughs> I know in my sleeve. Like you know, you just yeah. So yeah. so that was cool. Um, yeah. But you know, music doesn't have to be challenging intellectually or mathematically or finger wise or any of that stuff it mm. just got, it's got to make people happy that's all all, it's, all you need to do it's not about me you know the thing is even with that like it shouldn't be a challenge you should be good enough that everything you play you can do with one hand and your eyes closed while eating a sandwich um <laughs> so if you really think about it you know you could go back and say strumming an f chord is you know tough as hell because for me it took me a good year as a kid to be able to flatten my first finger down while keeping the knuckles curled on the other notes. And so that was a challenge and that mm. was tough. It's not tough anymore. So you could even say, well, even playing crazy prog stuff, playing, you know, you got uh, measures of 11 and then jumping to nine and 11, nine, 11, nine, and, you know, bouncing back and forth with all these crazy riffs and everything. That's not a challenge either because that, you know, that eventually that's your F chord that eventually you got it down. You don't even have to think about it. So any of that stuff, basically you only have to be is you just have to be good enough to play whatever songs you're playing. Mm. Uh, and with that, uh, and I'm straying from the, the, the topic a little bit here. Um, no, that's good. Going good. from playing, you know, Guns N' Roses stuff to playing super progressive stuff or going from playing more uh, intricate stuff to Guns N' Roses to intricate again. Uh, it's just playing music. And ultimately what you want to do is you want to give people a really good experience, whoever's listening, whoever they are. And, you know, if it's a bunch of Guns N' Roses fans, you want to just give them the best uh, version of what they came to love that you can. Of course. So, and it's the same with anything. Um, so it didn't really... Uh, it's not like I was looking at it like one kind of music was uh, like technically beneath the other. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like far from it because to bend something with feel, to stay in the right pocket, to move people, that's something that you have to do no matter what kind of music it is. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter, you know, how overall intricate it is or not. And honestly, you could take GNR songs and you can break them down and be like, damn, there's a whole lot of shit going on there. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. a lot to focus on and pay attention to and a lot of things that you need to do well and do right that shouldn't be ignored and it shouldn't be un like, overlooked or undermined at all. You know, I think if you're into prog stuff and if you're a player and you've paid attention to the technical aspects of playing and, and all the math behind it, it's very easy to lose sight of so many valuable things that you might think of as simple, but mm -hmm. they are maybe the most important things. And that's the stuff that you'll find in any music is, you know, and absolutely guns music. Uh, you have to make the shit sing. You got to make it groove. You have to have conviction. You have to play with, you have to be believable. You have to mean it. And mm -hmm that's what you got to do and it's probably easier to sit back and play scaly bullshit than it is 
to to do that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it is not something that any fancy ass player should ever, you know, stick their nose up to. You know, it's right. very easy to to look on the surface and say, well, this music is more intricate, so it's more sophisticated, but it's not. Because mm -hmm. to do the primary aspects mm -hmm. of making music that move people, to do that well, that's what matters. Right. Yeah, yeah that's, thank you so that's, much. That's, that's great. That's, yeah, and uh, I like, I, I sort of liked your detour there, actually, just talking about the learning to do certain aspects well, whether that's, say, an F chord or playing in nine or um, maybe some of the smaller things like, say, vibrato or something like that. So Vibrato is no small thing, man. Oh, man. That's, no we did a full episode on it. <laughs> we did, actually. Yeah, it's, it's a very, you know, that's because that's what we're doing. You know, we're, we're taking strings and making, we're taking a string, a fucking string, and we're making that thing sing and pour out emotion. Uh, you know, that, that's not a small task to do it well and to move somebody emotionally with that. So to do that well, it's, it's, it's important. It's very important. It's the most important. That's brilliant. And I learned, yeah. I probably learned more being in Guns N' Roses uh, than I did playing my own stuff. Uh, it took me out of my own world and mm. into one where I had to start paying attention to things that I probably would have continued to neglect. That's in the comfort zone removal. That's a huge thing. Um, great, Ron, we won't keep you for that much longer, but we have a, a, a question that we like to ask. Mm -hmm. um, well, we have a few questions that we'd like to ask everybody that we interview. Um, so, uh, second last, uh, so you've told us the most important musical advice, and I suppose uh, by extension you've told us to kind of to make people happy and to kind of, you know, play with integrity. Any other pieces of advice you give to just for general guitar improvement? That's kind of what we're all about over here. Uh, I can spend the next three hours <laughs> with that. Um, okay. Well, we uh, you're a teacher about... for for quite a while, I'm, I'm correct. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was Professor Bumblefoot at SUNY Purchase College in New York State. I wow. was an adjunct professor. Um, in fact, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be over at NYU giving a class. Uh, yeah, uh, I continue to teach. I love it. It's my favorite thing. It is the ultimate uh, spirit of being a musician, that giving spirit, that sharing mm -hmm. spirit that we do with music. Well, being a teacher, a music teacher, is taking it to the next level. And not only are you sharing the music, but you are sharing the ability to make that music so that others can do the same and make the music, share the music, and show others how to make the music and share the music. It's the most wonderful part of being a musician is the teaching part. But um, I might get you to record that and I'll give it to my mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seema? Yeah, um, it's the best. Uh, so, so what advice can I give? One, don't be late. Mm. Punctuality, man. It's 3 p.m. You get there at 2.45 and you sit in your car and you fucking wait and you never make anybody else wait. You be early and you let them know that you're there so that they don't have to start wondering and start getting nervous about it. You gain people's trust and the start of that is being on time. That's first. Um, and you communicate. If there's any issues with you being there, uh, you let them know as soon as possible. It's a major form of respect that people deserve. Mm -hmm. So being on time, which means being early, 
as one. It's, uh, we did a we did an episode on communication between running a band practice session, and that was definitely that definitely came up. Yeah, yeah. great. Uh, yeah. Of course, you know the metronome thing. You know, use the metronome. The metronome is your friend when you don't have a drummer. Uh, you know, the metronome is going to be your your next thing to teach you to follow. Guitar players, unless you're alone on the stage and providing the groove yourself and doing all that, um, you are to follow the groove. And the groove is the boss. It is what you follow. The most important thing is the rhythm. You're better off playing the wrong notes to a good rhythm than the right notes to a bad rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. You can play no notes. You can just, just you know... <laughs> And just make garbage on your guitar. But if you're doing it with a groove, that thing is going to sound good. Mm. <laughs> but if you play all the right notes, like a soulless robot, it's not going to be anything. Comes back to the pocket. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and developing pocket around a metronome, it's not about being right on the beat. It's about letting the beat happen and providing this sort of rhythmic... Uh, what would you call it? Not an echo, but but just or an ambience, but just an atmosphere. You're creating a rhythmic atmosphere around mm. that uh, in how you connect to it and where you sit. Never get in front of that beat. Beat comes first. If you're on it, that's as close as you want to be. And just stay a little behind it, a little after it. But, but focus on that because we have nervous energy. We're all about playing fast and, and the big race, the big you know finger contest, the big sport that we turn it into. Uh, the speed sport and we're all victims of it we all do it and we all love it it's fun as hell to play fast and to see it just how fast you can get and and it's a challenge yeah but that does not make good music and that does not move people and what do you want to do do you want to challenge yourself on how fast you can you know milk a bowl or do you <laughs> want to see you know or do you want people to be really touched by what you do so the metronome can help you with that. Use it in the proper way. It's not just about developing speed or accuracy. It's about getting your groove going to play with someone else or something else that is giving you a foundation for you to build that groove on. Mm -hmm. So think of it that way. Um, Beautiful. We over... Yeah, just mm -hmm. just uh, one, one last thing here for you, okay. too. So I think, I think we got to wrap it up. But... Um, we do a question with everybody we interview. So if you're stranded on a desert island, you have a guitar, you have an amp, but you've got, uh, you've got one pedal that you can take with you, what is that one pedal going to be? Youch. Uh, <laughs> it's the common response. Well, you know, I might, you know, I could say a delay pedal because you can make a lot of little ping pongy things. Um, I could say a wah pedal to make it talk a little more, but what I'm going to say is a looper pedal. Boom. Mm. Because this way, if I'm alone, at least I can have the looper play back something so that I can play to something. Love it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you came full yeah. circle there. Yeah, we did an episode on looper pedals as well. So there you go. <laughs> Run, Bumblefoot is just bringing all of our episodes into one episode. So. You're proving us right, Ron. That's what you're doing. Good, man. Good, good. Yeah. We appreciate that. Um, class, uh, John, any more things you'd like to add? Uh, Ron, where can we find you uh, on the socials? 
Ah, anything Bumblefoot. There's bumblefoot.com. Um, that's the hub where you can see just, you know, whatever show dates I'm playing and any news or anything like that. Uh, Facebook, of course, facebook.com slash bumblefoot. Twitter.com slash bumblefoot. Instagram.com <laughs> slash bumblefoot. Noticing a pattern here. Yes, youtube.com slash bumblefoot. Uh, pretty much anything. You Google bumblefoot, you're going to see pictures of, of chicken feet with a big giant wart in the middle of it or me. So... <laughs> Just don't, you know, depending on which one you want. Right. <laughs> Some of the listeners uh, are looking for chicken feet with, you know, warts on them. I, I think there's a Joe Satriani, Sammy Hagar reference in there somewhere. Somewhere. But, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Ron, best Thank of luck with so the rest, uh, rest of the project. Can't wait to hear the album. Um, yeah. Thank you, so thanks, you for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Great chatting with you guys. And we're back, ladies and germs, from our lovely interview with the even lovelier Bumblefoot. Uh, really nice guy. So glad he took time out of his very, very busy schedule. Uh, such a funny guy, man. I really, like, you, you see these rock gods and you forget they can have a really good sense of humor. Some of them, yes. And he was certainly one of them. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, some of them can be really dull. At least that's what, you know, from other interviews I've listen to but he was he was fantastic and really gracious great to have him on the show i can't say enough great things right i like how he uh he makes me feel better about being a music teacher because we are the spreaders of love (laughs) yeah one thing i took from the the interview john is that how how he he basically said that basically that you and i have been right the whole time that, that we're not fools, that he basically, if you listen back to previous episodes, he basically reaffirmed stuff that we've been saying for 27 episodes. <laughs> I know. It was like he summed up the entire history of the I podcast. Smug sip one... from my water bottle. <laughs> right. Smug. Yeah. Deal with it. So, yeah. No, yeah, it was really, really good. I, I, I appreciated the fact that he brought in so many different elements of things we talked about, whether it was timing or whether it was being willing to learn something from any situation. Uh, like he was saying with guns and roses, you know, you, you asked that question, whether or not it was, it was a great departure. And he said it was different, but he made sure he learned a lot from that experience and it was fun, which that's kind of what music's supposed to be about. I I'm told. Absolutely. He had such a, a winning attitude for taking on all these, you know, the, as he said, the classic guitar solos. Um, I actually did a bit of a, a hunt on YouTube of stuff that he's done. And there's this amazing video of him play. He's at this Randy Rhodes tribute thing. And he just plays uh, Mr. Crowley just note for note, like crazy perfect. And having, having spoken to him, you could tell he was doing it with love and respect. And, mm. you know, he really, he really respects the craft. Yeah, and the fact that he, gosh, I mean, talk about, he, he works hard. I, I don't know how else to say it. He just, if you listen to the tour stuff that he was doing, you listen to the albums that he's been working on, that blues album he talked about, the Sons of Apollo yeah. stuff, Sons of a Portnoy, I thought that was pretty clever. <laughs> <laughs> I love G and Art. G and Art, right. You know, the guy is, he's just a workhorse in the industry. And it's, I'm super impressed with that. 
and his attitude towards the whole thing. It was, it, it was a great interview. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, uh, thanks again, Bumblefoot, for being on our podcast. If you ever listen back to it, I don't know <laughs> if you are. You're a busy man. I, I don't care. So, John, uh, what have you been listening to? What have you been working on, should I say? Oh, is, is that where we are now? What we've been working on? We are on? there right now. So, Strap in. Yeah, I, my practice schedule of late has been driven much by what my students are working on. So I've got students who are working on tech metal right now. So I'm scrambling to make sure I can keep up with these like ridiculous guitar players right now. It's interesting because after sort of the new metal phase, metal has gotten really technical and very diverse, but there's so much technical stuff out there. And then I've got a student working on Steve Vai stuff and I've got a student working on just some, some blues type riffs from a country duo called the brothers Osborne. And it's, Oof, it's it's a heavy load. But the one that I've actually been focusing a little more on because I've always meant to learn it and really haven't sat down and done it has been the Stevie Ray Vaughan version of Little Wing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And it's of all the people. So if you had to guess which, you know, which demographic of a student would you imagine would come in and say to me, Hey, I want to learn Little Wing by Stevie Ray Vaughan. I would say someone probably maybe 22 up. Someone that's been around for a while. Yeah, probably. Maybe even older. You know, some dude who grew up in the 80s. You know, something like that. As a matter of fact, it is, she is 17. Wow. Yeah. And she came in and was like, this is an awesome song and I want to learn it. And I was just, uh, yeah. Okay. Of course. Now she's an amazing student anyway, but the fact of the matter is when people are complaining about kids, not listening to good guitar music, you're clearly not involved in talking to these people because most of these things that are pushing me as a player right now and whether they're, they're old stuff like the Stevie Ray Vaughan or, new stuff like this, like the tech metal stuff out there. And they're, that's what's pushing me. And so staying engaged with these students. So when this Washington Post article that I mentioned earlier comes out and says, kids these days just don't like guitars. I say horse crap. You're not listening yeah. to the kids. Like you're not, <laughs> you're not out there asking them, what do you want to listen to? What do you want to play? And even giving them ideas, you're not out there doing research. So if you're out there complaining about me, young whippersnappers just don't know good guitar music these days. Well, if you're complaining about it, you're not, you're not teaching. You're not helping them to learn something more. You're not sharing the things you're passionate about. So take that. Stick it to you. Okay, I'm, I'm off my soapbox now. But, wow. But we should have kind of said the same section thing. of the show, you know. John Shred Soapbox. <laughs> Maybe I'm, not. I'm not sure that's a good idea. But anyway, I'm done. I, I was halfway through your rant. I was going to ask you if you preferred students that, you know, would you rather have a dozen students wanting to learn like the same basic four chord song or a dozen students who all want to learn different things? But I think you just answered it for me there. Uh, different things, I think. Yeah. Fun. But uh, that said, I'm always... I always want students to come in with a different four chord song that I'm not familiar with, you know? Yeah. 
So I've got yeah. students working on things like Vance Joy and students working on things like Paramore and then the other stuff I mentioned. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it Diversity expands is my important. horizon and it makes me a better player all around. So I'm not going to complain. Anyway, no. that's me. I'm done ranting. So you, Mr. Murphy, what have you been listening or working on? Jeez. What have I been working on? Yes. I have been working on a few things. Uh, one thing I want to work on, which I might actually do it this evening after the podcast, is uh, so I've discovered, I think I've mentioned him on the show, this guy has, um, this American dude, has a channel called Art of Guitar. And yes. that's basically how I learn guitar these days is mostly off YouTube, as people who've listened to the show for a while can probably gather. So he has this 30 minute guitar workout and it's not, you basically do it with him at the same time and like do it while you view it, feel, but I'm, I'm interested in giving it a go. It's basically just about building finger strength. So I'm going to do that as a little experiment and I will report back next week with how I found it. Okay. Um, apart from that, I was in the studio again for the third time in well, you know, in a while, uh, yesterday recording new songs for the next year released Stephen Sharp album because I will be going away and he wants to get a couple of singles done. So I was doing that. Uh, fun stuff. One of them is basically like a four chord punk, punk song, but uh, a lot of like alternate picking and, you know, few few squeals here and there. Uh, and the other song, I don't know what to do with it. I have honest to God... We we basically got the bass and drums down for it yesterday, and he's basically given it to me like a blank canvas. It's like just put loads of guitar on top of it. So wow. yeah, it's it's it's. Interesting. I like having it, but it's also kind of intimidating because you don't want to be you know listen to it when it's done and go oh I should have done that. So you go all Queen on it and put like five guitar tracks. Dude, I was actually thinking about it. There was a few parts where I was just listening to it and trying to figure out Brian May harmonies in the studio. Uh, which is not like me, but sometimes the song just calls for that kind of stuff, you know? Excellent. Yeah. So what, what have you been, have you been, have you had time to listen to anything? Um, it's, it has been a little chaotic. And so, but yes, yes. And mostly hanging out with the, and so I watch you from afar, their new album. And it's been, it's been amazing. I, I know you've listened to it a bit as well. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah, it's incredible. I think it's some of their, I, I think it is so far their best work. I think it's pushed them as players, as songwriters. Big words, man. Yeah, and it sounds fantastic. And if you go back and you listen to the podcast <clears throat> from last week, then you'll see just exactly everything that they've, they've done with it. And it's, it's fantastic. Really glad to have them on the show. Great album. Good listen. Anyway. That's that's what I've been listening to. Have you been putting anything into your ears besides Q-tips? <laughs> uh, I have actually. I actually it just I just checked my phone there, and that's actually online. Uh, I did a review uh, this week of the new. It's not a. It's, it's a basically a box set by this band called the Flat Duo Jets. Mm. Um, so I did a review of it for Pop Matters. They sent me a lovely CD, which is the first freebie I've ever gotten. Unfortunately, I don't have a CD player, but they also sent me the download as well. Uh, so I listened to the new Flat Duo Jets issue. Now, have you any idea who the Flat Duo Jets are? You've mentioned them before, I believe. Yes? Yes, I have. Yeah, they, they were, uh, the, were they the influence for the White Stripes? They were. They were okay. the biggest influence. And the more I listened to them, this box set that they sent me was a... 
basically a reissue of one of their biggest albums, their self-titled album. And when I say biggest, I mean not very big at all because they were underground legends, but they never hit the mainstream. Mm. Uh, it's outtakes and it's also an EP. And the more I listen to it, it's your man's, you know, he's, he's a great guitar player for what he does. Dexter, unpronounceable last name, can't remember. Uh, <laughs> like, it's like surf rock and psychobilly and really, really just like upbeat, fucking breakneck, sorry for swearing, breakneck, just blues riffs. And it's, it's amazing. And then you, you listen to it and you're like, okay, that's the first two White Stripes albums right there, uh, but recorded like a decade earlier. Um, wow. And they have no videos on YouTube. They just have one of them on Letterman, which is from a movie which Jack White is the narrator. So Jack White's voice comes over. Like, I love Jack White, but it's like, oh, wow, he really ripped these guys off. But that's what, that's what music is, John. <laughs> you know, ripping yeah. people off. We probably shouldn't end the I, show on I, that note. I, but. I don't even know what to say to that. I'm just like, oh, now I'm crushed. I, uh, yeah, stay sharp, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. One thing, I, I really do like the new So I Watch You album. Um, my favorite thing I think about it is that I got from an interview is that they did it all live in the studio. Like there are, it, and you can hear that. There's right. just such, a, such an edge to it. Right. It's, yeah. And, and that goes back to what Bumblefoot was saying as well like being able to get into the studio and do that sort of live atmosphere, that live recording. Like it's easy to kind of do things piecemeal, but you have a completely different dynamic when you're genuinely working in that space with somebody. Yeah. It's, it's so, yeah, it's such a kind of refreshing thing to hear. Cause you know, Bumblefoot, you know, we ranted and raved about the grid and the click and, the, the, the Pro Tools system and you know it, it's true when you listen to this album you're like no wait you can still make an album of going into a room with a bunch of friends and just working stuff out yeah, yeah. really refreshing check it out friends and so I watch from far one of the best bands this country has to offer uh, I've got or nothing to add country for that matter but yeah <laughs> John, I will see you next week indubitably uh, check us out on all the socials people again we've got we've got more stuff coming up, exciting stuff, more interviews. Can't wait to get all this stuff together for you. And merchandise coming? Yeah, we're, we're, we're working on it. Uh, I need to check how the YouTube's doing. But I would just like to give a shout out to Quentin Underwood, who is the last liker of our page. Thank you, Quentin. <laughs> yes, Thank thanks. you. Like us on Facebook, you guys, if you can. Give us a like. Uh, thanks to all the people from Guitarist Ireland that checked out our last episode. We really appreciate it. Yes, and you can find us on Twitter. We're at Sharpen That X. That's pretty easy to find, I reckon. So tweet at us, message us, send us emails. Feedback. It's all we here need in the show notes. Yeah, do leave a review if you enjoy this. It helps the channel grow. Channel, it's not really a channel. It helps the podcast. Not yet. Grow. Not with that attitude. Yeah. <laughs> right, one of these days soon so big plans all the way into the new year and we're excited to be there for all of your guitar betterment at any rate i think that's us yep godspeed ladies and gentlemen stay sharp <laughs>